grayed and reddened with many small abrasions, although underneath it seemed softly, uniformly, goldenly pale. His muscles are well developed. His hair, both on his head and his groin, is drying to a darkish blonde. He could be a drowned Greek god. David, is that your name? The eyes flicker in a wet glint. Can you hear me? A trailing leg moves. He looks up at me now, but the gaze is barely focused. Muscles rope in a spasm, then he falls back. When the eyes slip closed again, I sense that he's shutting me off. In another moment, the breathing has slowed. The eyeballs flicker. He seems to be asleep. Leaving him, I close and lean against the music room door. My senses blur. Just what am I doing? I'm soaked, stuck with the bits of shore and weed he's sloughed off on our journey. I too wish I could sleep, escape. But I head instead for the laundry cupboard. The house implement which airs and presses my linen extends its silvery limbs as I reach to scoop up towels and blankets. But I bat it away, then struggle with arms full to get the music room door open again. Inside, the automatic piano shines its wooden sail, filled with the morning which floods through the wide bay windows. Why did I choose to put him in this of all rooms, where everything is so personal, so much a part of me? These walls lean with awards, gold discs, rare scraps of manuscript, antique concert programmes, images of my husband Claude conducting the world's great orchestras. The floor is strewn with family photos, old CDs, scraps of image, my children's grey drawings. My desk is a shrine piled high with the past. My Guarneri violin lies waiting in its case. All I am is here. Everything that I could find anyway. Yet now I've brought in this stranger. My hands are trembling as I cover my drowned man with blankets. He certainly isn't starved, and despite all these many small wounds, he looks almost heartbreakingly perfect. His body hasn't been distorted or changed in the way that so many are nowadays either, and his penis is plump and jaunty despite the cold. He simply is what he is. Human, young, living, male. I've forgotten how beautiful people can be in this pure animal state. His hand no longer twitches. As I lift his head to place a towel under it, he gives a small smile. My mind circles the obvious point. This is far from the first time bodies have been found washed up along these Cornish shores. There have always been wrecks and drownings, and the refugee ships and dirigibles of all the recent diasporas often crash or sink when they're intercepted by the Guardian subs and drones. And refugees are often male and young, just as they've always been. What happens to them if they're captured alive? Sent back, I suppose, to the droughts of Africa, the sink cities of southern Europe. Outside the music room's windows, the segmented sky and horizon remain empty. There are no ships, aircraft, or visible automata. Perhaps he's nothing more than an early morning swimmer caught by cramp or an unexpected current. But in that case... Desperate relatives would already be searching for him, 
and if they were, drones and flitters would also be crawling and scanning the beach. People are easy to find now, at least the ones who are fortunate enough to live in these parts. We radiate like beacons to the waymarks which help protect our boundaries. If you were a local yachtsman, heading out from Foy or Mevergissi or Penzance or a pleasure seeker or cliffside walker, or merely a skinny-dipping tourist caught out by this treacherous sea, he would have been rescued long before I found him. I study his face, trying to fix the features, trying as well to remember what racial stereotype we are supposed to fear in this new century. Dispossessed Americans? Maoris? But those bogeymen lie in other decades. Now people can make themselves look like anything. They can change their colour, rearrange their genes... I risk raising the blankets again to check that he's breathing. He is, and everything else is still there.